This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the special place where we explore the stories, the memories, and the meanings behind the pictures and messages on old or not so old picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson, and today I'm delighted to say my guests in the studio are writer Richard King and broadcaster Petrock Trelawney. Petrock and Richard, hello and welcome. Hello. Hello, lovely to be here. Now, Richard King is a writer specialising in music, popular music. Uh, He's written widely on the subject. He is the author of the magisterial, weighty, How Soon Is Now, which is a painstaking chronicle of the visionary, bad-tempered, backstabbing, narcotic, adrenalised rise and fall of independent record labels in the UK. And it was the Sunday Times Music Book of the Year. He's also behind a very different book, Original Rockers, an elegiac literary memoir of his time working behind the counter at a shop where they didn't seem to have any interest in actually selling anything, Revolver Records in Bristol. And Richard comes to us with a Newport postmark from Monmouthshire, as was. Yep. Richard, do you still send postcards? Yes, I do. Uh, They tend to be um, sent to people of a certain age who would appreciate them. What age is that? Uh, I have cousins and great-aunts in their late 70s who I feel, when on holiday, need to you know, be corresponded with in a manner with which they're familiar. Uh, other than that, I don't send them, no. So you're still the child sending dutifully sending postcards, really, in that sense? Without question. <laughs> well, Petrock Trelawney is, of course, a well-known broadcaster. Uh, to many, the voice of classical music. Petrock was one of the key presenters on Classic FM when it started, quite controversially at the time, as credited with being part of a movement towards a livelier, more approachable presentation of classical music. He writes on music and other matters for The Spectator, The Irish Times, BBC Music Magazine, and he's a regular face on BBC television presenting classical music programmes. He arrives here today hot foot from presenting his current programme, the flagship BBC Radio 3 Breakfast. And Petrock arrives at Wardour Studios with a TR12 postcode from the Lizard Peninsula in Cornwall. Postal Town, Truro. Very good, TR, Truro. Petrock, when did you last send a postcard? I still send them quite often. I can't remember the last time I sent a postcard from a holiday, but I'm, I kind of like to send thank you notes for things if someone you know has me around for supper or takes me somewhere or whatever, and I use postcards almost always. But I write all over the back <laughs> uh, and then put them in an envelope with the address on. So I buy a lot of postcards. I've got a whole drawer overflowing with postcards. Every time I go to an art gallery or a museum 
kind of leave with 10 or 12 postcards. You can't help picking them up. Can't help picking them up. And I always buy three or four copies of each postcard because my writing, like so many people now, is so appalling. Uh, I write so rarely that I find I get halfway through the postcard and realise I can't read it, let alone the person I'm sending it to. So I have to get postcard number two out and start again and write very slowly and, and really focus so it is in some way legible. And do you keep one for stock, one just for yourself? Sometimes. Sometimes I run out. Sometimes I find something I bought 15 years ago. I was looking through the drawer today. I went to Cuba, I think, 15 years ago, and I found in a, a, a rather faded envelope at the back of the postcard drawer a whole lot of postcards that I uh, bought at the, the Museum of, of Contemporary Art in, in Havana, sponsored rather oddly by Cubana, the Cuban airline. They clearly had some sort of odd postcard production deal. So they, they sort of, they're in a bit of a circle. They come to the front again after, well, 15 years in this case. Oh, so you're riffling through your memories to get there. Exactly. Very good. Now, Richard, you spend a lot of years uh, working in the music business. Yes. Hence your, your interest in music and, and, and the machinations and the mechanics of the music business. Yes. Postcards used to be an important promotional tool. Is that right? Yes, certainly. Uh, I spent most of my career at uh, Domino. When I first started there in the mid-90s, the photographs of the artists we had were all black and white and all printed on fairly smudgy matte postcards and thinking back that may be why our response in the media wasn't quite as bright as <laughs> some of our contemporaries. Black and white feels quite old-fashioned. Yes, and they we dealt with a lot of American bands, so we were getting a kind of second-hand version of whatever they thought would be the right campaign photo shoot. But no, we did have piles of postcards that would go in the mailer envelope with the promotional CD, occasionally vinyl, and... Um, you know, that was the kind of campaign, really, just sending them out. And then towards the end of that campaign, obviously, you tend to get a small pile left, and those then became a sort of main note-writing tool for when you needed to scrawl something on someone. So you might be taking a note of someone's lunch order or a time they're meant to be flying out somewhere, and it's actually on the back of I'm not going to say an Franz artist, Ferdinand's no, head. definitely not then, but earlier than that. But, yes, I mean, I have... The other day I found a gloss photograph of Will Oldham, um, Palace Brothers, Body Prince Billy, and um, it has the Drag City insignia on it, and I have a, a matching domino one, a different picture, and I did think about getting them framed, so music business postcard nostalgia is certainly wow, entering this, my life. This is a whole niche area we perhaps need to explore uh, in, in more depth at some stage. Now, Petrock, you've been broadcasting since 1989, yeah. last century. Yeah, um, analogue time. <laughs> you must then have been in the studio when people were sending postcards in, you know, the whole business of answers on the back of a postcard. Absolutely. Uh, that was the only way to communicate, wasn't it? Uh, I started my broadcasting career at Plymouth Sound Radio, the Happy 261, as it used to be called. <laughs> was it happy? Medium wave, it was very happy. <laughs> Good. Uh, based at Earl's Acre, Alma Road, Plymouth, and I can't remember the postcode. <laughs> but that most of the competitions, well, some of them you could phone in for, but most of the competitions... Uh, or there was a programme in the evenings that was the Plymouth Sound of Love, presented by Brian Matthew, oh, who was a, a postman by day a blessed and a memory. radio presenter in the evening and used to come in wearing a sort of velvet smoking jacket and introduce a kind of middle-of-the-road and This is a different songs. Brian Matthew? A uh, different Brian Matthew. Yes, oh, this right. was Plymouth's Brian Matthew okay. as opposed to Radio 2's <laughs> Brian Matthew. No he didn't have to change his name like so many DJs. Exactly. And uh, uh, he would get all his requests on postcards and they used to pile in and, and you know, you'd find them kind of weeks later with answer A and someone's address 
address on the back. And, of course, we sent out postcards in those days. I mean, I haven't had a, a picture to send out for a long time now, but I remember Radio Devon, where I went to after Plymouth Sound, I, got, I was so excited because I got a postcard that had a, a terrible and, again, very badly printed picture of me on it in a studio that you could send out to listeners if they, on the rare occasions it has to be said, they <laughs> asked for a, an autographed photo. But that seems to have gone out of fashion as well. So uh, people still write to me at Radio 3. I'd say it's 2% of communications now. Most of it's Twitter, text, email. But some people still write, and occasionally I give out the W1A, 1AA address, and it's always great when people do write. But now it tends to be letters rather than, rather than postcards. Very good. Well, before we see the cards that uh, Petrock and Richard have kindly brought along, uh, I'll do a quick one of mine. This is, of course, a postcard from the past uh, card, an old card from which I've selected part of the message. Uh, and this card is of Lincoln Cathedral from Brayford Water, mm. as is proven by my uh, esteemed guests here. Uh, and it was it's actually, I mean, this proves that things are sent in a different way. It's got two post postmarks, one from Lancashire and one from Croydon. So I think it might have been redirected. Mm. Uh, problem with the address? Uh, postmark experts would know. I like it in, in Le Carre uh, novels when, I think it's Smiley's people, when it's two halves of a postcard need to match. Ah. And... Uh, in another scene, I forget which one, there's a, a sort of analysis of the postcard and the postmarks and where it's from exactly in the manner in which you've done. So I think Interesting. And presumably of, MI5 and MI6 would have had the ability, they probably still do, I guess, to frank a postmark from a, a different place uh, yes. to put someone off the scent. Yes, and that kind of takes you back to the whole sort of idea of steaming open letters and yes. uh, in, in, interrupted communications. But I think analy careful analysis is very necessary when looking at a postcard. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and though I also like to leave as much mystery as possible yeah. in, the, in the way I present them. So this is, this is an old Colour Master postcard. I, I'm very fond of Colour Master postcards. Um, cost threepence to send this one. Anyway, it, it has a musical connection, which I thought both of you would appreciate. Let's see. Um, <laughs> The message I've, I've selected is, yes, please, I should love to have the piano stool, please. <laughs> My piano has not arrived yet. <laughs> Do you think they were kind of paying in instalments? So, think, you know, yes. you, got, you got the piano stool and then six months later, half, half the piano arrived. And then after that, you get your first, my first piano yeah. book. I suppose yeah. that, you know, they're yeah. useful because you can store things in them. Yes. They're firm, comfortable seats on which to rest your posterior. There you go. This is, uh, this is the expert knowledge we, we expect <laughs> from you, Petrock. Richard and Petrock, you've been kind enough to come on today with some cards of your own. Richard, yeah. could you tell me about the first card you'd like to share with us? Yes. Um, <laughs> so doing your postcard analysis, this is from the Dulwich Picture Gallery, and it has blue tack <laughs> on its rear, which I've put oh, there. I think we can tell something about this card then. This has often hung very near me in various places of work, uh, including where I, in my study at home now. It's called Five Welsh Chapels. And it's five Welsh chapels uh, drawn and painted by the artist John Piper. I am Welsh and like to talk about how Welsh I am at great length <laughs> to whoever's prepared to listen, uh, largely because I don't sound Welsh and I feel I have to kind of justify my nationality by going into great length. But um, John Piper spent a lot of time, as did his contemporary Graham Sutherland, in West Wales, which is a place... I know very well and spend a lot of time myself. And these chapels, I think, are very interesting because the chapel movement, the nonconformist chapel movement in Wales, placed so little 
effort or energy and really didn't want to accentuate detail in, in hardly anything they did. My mother was Welsh-speaking and went to chapel religiously, as you would do, every Sunday at four o'clock. And the chapel she went to didn't have an altar or a cross. It just had a step. And she very rem- spare. Very, very spare. And that sort of austerity ran through a lot of the chapel movement and its architecture. And she remembered the minister saying in Welsh, you must repent lest the evil spirit descend upon your nerves. And she remembered coming home from chapel saying, what, do, what are nerves? Because she was eight years old or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I wonder if John, uh, John Piper was married to a, a Westwhalian, and I wonder if he, if he experienced that kind of um, very harsh form of spirituality that was redolent of the chapel movement. But the, the buildings themselves really are fairly unsophisticated, I think is a kind of polite way of putting it. But he, they're very geometrical they're images, ve- aren't they're they? They're very geometric. And he saw something in them that was clearly magical. And then in my own childhood, I was a cathedral chorister in St. Woolis in Newport in South Wales. And the chancel window was a stained glass window with a cross. And that was by John Piper. And that was a very, very different... Um, rendering of spirituality, Christianity. The cathedral I, I was a chorister at, I should hasten to say I don't know if I have that faith anymore. My faith these days consists of doing yoga and listening to a lot of the Grateful Dead. So, and, but you say you don't know, so you're leaving it a little open. I leave it open, especially yes. talking about uh, Welsh spirituality. But the, the cathedral I was a chorister at, which had this John Piper window, was very, very high church and very sort of mystical and incense was oh, swung right around. the other end of the scale. So it's right the other end of the scale. And so Piper somehow connects these for me. And um, I suppose it's just very interesting that one artist could be... I mean, there isn't much art in, in the Welsh church like his, but he clearly took an interest, and he wasn't Welsh, but he's, he clearly found something going on there that worked across the, the spectrum. It's funny, I mean, the landscape of Cornwall is like Wales dotted with Methodist chapels. Mm. And I'm struggling to think of ever seeing any of them ever reproduced Mm. in Mm. a postcard. I mean, obviously they've been painted and this is a a postcard of a picture. But it it seems to me, I mean, my mother was Church of England and that was the the, the branch of the church I grew up in. But I used to go to Methodist Sunday School in the little village I grew up in because there wasn't a Sunday school at the Anglican Church. And the chapel that I went to week in, week out for five, six years is now a house, Mm. uh, as is almost every other chapel in Cornwall. And and there used to be well over a 1,000 Methodist chapels in Cornwall. Yes. And on the Lizard Peninsula where I grew up, there were 40 or 50. Yeah. Now there are half a dozen. I mean, the decline mm. of the chapel movement, and it's not a decline from the 30s or the 50s, it's really a decline from the, the 90s. I was going to say late it's 80s, happened, 90s. Yeah, yeah, it's happened suddenly so quickly. And that chapel in St. Martin used to have 50 people worshipping every Sunday. You know, the farmers would be there and their mm-hmm. sons would be there. You could almost see that where they'd been scrubbed up mm-hmm. and, you know, had their Sunday best uh, laid out for them by their mothers. And it's just completely gone. And I'm, I'm fascinated by how it, it just seemed to literally go overnight from one generation to another. Suddenly, people stopped going to chapel. 
you know, is it is it social changes, demographic changes that have? I think it's. Or, I think or are it's we all sorts more godless people. I, I think, think. Yeah. I think sure. we're partly more godless yes, people. Yes. There's more money. Uh, there's more technology. There's you know stuff to watch on on television. It and was first pe- of all, and now there are other distractions. And, and it's. it's I, it, I blame it, Netflix. Of well, course. It's, <laughs> but it's also it's not just the church. It's everything that went with it that's yes. gone. You know, there used to be endless concerts by Methodist choirs on Saturday yes. night. There were great music competitions. I, I remember going on tea treats, right. which you know hadn't changed for a century. You know, we went to St Ives, and there were saffron buns and Cornish pasties yeah. and big urns of tea. Yeah. I mean, that could have been a scene from 1912 yes. or 1932, but it was a scene in probably 1982, maybe 1984, 1985, something like that. But, yeah. you know, it went on. It went on an amazingly long time. And people are in rural areas now for very different reasons, you know, since since the 90s and particularly Cornwall, where you're from, and Mid Wales, where I live, the second home. Well, lots of the chapels have become second, second homes. Yeah. Very desirable. Yes, yeah. yeah. Although very difficult to convert, of course, because you, you basically have one enormous space and not much. And a lot of them are listed, so yes. you, can't, you can't do anything major. And putting a, putting a floor uh, to divide them into two levels is never entirely satisfactory because you have problems with the full-length windows. They are, you need a good architect if you're going to turn a... And quite a lot of money if you're <laughs> going to turn the And no option a for a vegetable plot in the garden because they're full of graves. Yeah. <laughs> See, we don't have that in Cornwall. The they graveyards were well. always separate in Cornwall. Oh, were they? Graveyards, right. you, end, you tended to be buried in an Anglican graveyard. Okay. Okay. Even if you were a Methodist, because the Methodist chapels didn't have graveyards in Cornwall in the same way they did in Wales. Well, Richard, that's a, you've sparked a, a fascinating um, discussion there as we uh, look at the godless 21st century. But the, 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 the lines are so pretty. There's something so entrancing about, about John Piper's I mean, line. The, the, this, this era, obviously, Alexandra Harris's uh, romantic moderns and uh, the interest in Revilius certainly kick-started uh, in our time, a renewed interest in this generation. Um, but they were, they were all, as we all probably know, jobbing illustrators for Shell Oil and Absolutely. everyone else. So I think... Um, his ability to kind of work quickly probably helped him a great deal. And, uh, the, you know, during the, the lead-up to the war and afterwards, he was involved as a war artist as well. So, and there's serious architectural drawings. Uh, that, that, exactly that. Yes. that the, he, the training and the ability to work quickly is all in here. Yes, they are actually a record as, as, well, as, as well as fine illustrations. Well, let's, let's move on to um, your first card, Petrol, which is not disconnected, I think. In fact, I think there may be a specific connection. Well, it, there is a specific connection in that this is also from the Dulwich Picture Gallery. And so we don't uh, need to go to Wales. <laughs> we don't need to, go to, <laughs> need to go to Cornwall. Just go, just go to South East London. Well, I think this was, on, this was on temporary display at the Dulwich oh, Picture okay. Gallery because it says private collection. And it's a picture by Alfred Wallace, a picture of oh, yes. St Ives Harbour, Hale Bar, Gadrivi and fishing boats, painted between, well, around 1932 1933-1934 oil on card that's quite significant because Alfred Wallace was one of the, the so-called naive painters he hadn't had any formal training but this great artistic colony that grew up in St Ives from the 1880s the 1890s onwards so many people moving down there when the town was opened up by the railways and art galleries started up the arts clubs started up and there was a some people think slightly patronising approach to local artists I think in some ways it probably was, but there was then an encouragement of artists like Wallace. Uh, and Wallace had this remarkable way of painting where he, he painted from almost above and created these uh, uh, topographical images of places, but but balancing lots of different angles. So this is 
almost so looking it's down. Not, not good at perspective. No, if you're looking it, for it, a technical the, point no, of view. The perspective is 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 completely crazy. You know, compared to to the Methodist chapels. You know, you're looking down on the harbour, but then you've got Kadrivi Lighthouse, which is far further away, just at the top of the picture. You've got a a boat painted, a sailboat painted at the right angle. So the angles are all over the place. But it does give you a, a brilliantly realistic depiction of St Ives, and his colours are wonderful. I mean, you couldn't aim for more golden sand. You know, John Hine couldn't do <laughs> golden sand better than, than Wallace managed. And the sea has a wonderful grey, and yet it's tempered with a bit of sunshine, but also the lighthouse light is is revolving as well. And for me, you know, Wallace is really the, the, the man who came closest to depicting what St Ives really is. He didn't romanticise it, he didn't turn the fishermen into heroes that a lot of the, the St Ives school of painters did. He, he painted it kind of as it was. And, and this is a picture that takes me straight back to St Ives when, whenever I look at it. And is that ready to be sent to someone or is that someone, something that's kept slightly differently? No, this will be sent to someone. Uh, I think I've got another copy of this that, that is pinned up. I have several boards in my little office and uh, they're full of postcards and I think there is one that's got a pinhole in it. But this is pristine, so this will go out as a thank you note at some point in the so near it's, future. it's a card of a painting on card. Yes. And Wallace used wood bits of old tables whatever was around yeah. i mean i think that's why you know he uh, he and i think painted on canvas a couple of times yeah. and didn't really like it you know he would paint on any on any available on any available surface using kind of whatever paints he could lay his hands on and did he 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 kept his door open, didn't he? So he sort of lived in an mm. ad hoc gallery. And... Yeah, and, and and was always slightly surprised when people came and yeah. bought paintings. And I suspect was probably ripped off left, right, and centre, yes. and probably should have earned far more money from his paintings than, than he ever managed to do. They've now, of course, become incredibly collectible. There's something of the Raoul Dufy about him, isn't there? The, his perspective. Yeah, it, it's it's that sort of strange but completely understandable, isn't it? Yeah. You can look at it, and it's not a map. It's nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing of the kind of rigour of the piper, uh, and yet it makes perfect sense. And he was very interested, as you say, in working lives, so he recorded... It was always a working environment mm. in the port. And he'd been a fisherman, so yes. you know, he knew the life of fishermen, how to, how to cover it in real terms without, without romanticising it. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, uh, Petrock. That's... Um... It's interesting that the cards, I do feel a connection between those two. Um, both very topographical, both actually extraordinarily similar colour palette as well. Yeah. And both from the Dulwich Picture Gallery. <laughs> and both redolent of our sense of hero, exactly. of where we're from. Yes. Which I, I didn't realise, but that's a Cornish word as well as, well as a Welsh word. I mean, the, the, the similarities between the Cornish and, and Welsh language are remarkable. But I didn't realise until just a couple of days ago that, that, that hirath was a word, we spell it with an E rather than an I, but that's used in the Cornish language as well. Kernobisviken, Cornwall forever. Very good. Come round Very this. good. So you can, look at the, you can look at these cards and they're kind of a little time tunnel to take you back, back to where you were. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Right. Um, you're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. And my guests today are Richard King and Petro Trelawney. Richard, what's the second card you got for us today? So uh, this is a postcard that, uh, with each passing year, takes on uh, perhaps greater significance. It has hole at the top <laughs> from a drawing pin because this as well has often uh, been placed near a place of work in my office or study. This is from John Peel and... Um, it was sent in 1995, when I was in my early 20s, and um, the I ran a small record company in Bristol from the back of a record shop, which was the subject of my second book. And there weren't that many people doing DIY-ish independent labels at the time in the early 90s. It was sort of a, very much a fringe occupation, um, the closure of rough trade in the early 90s was a sort of death knell for independent music. So there weren't many of us about, and those of us that were about, um, it wasn't very hard to get John's attention. Um, but he, he was very kind to us. And actually, this is from Stowmarket. So Stowmarket on the front, then there are four panels, one of which is, as far as I can see, just a dead-end road. Does it even say diversion? Maybe? It says diversion, and then there's a container lorry another diversion this is not a not a promising set of images really no and on the back it says Stowmarket greetings from Stowmarket through traffic capital of East Anglia and that, that's not his message that's actually printed <laughs> that's on the postcard through I mean, traffic capital can you think of a more uh, you know a more John Peel-esque use Perfect. of language yes, you know, yes. we'll hear more from through traffic capital of East Anglia <laughs> in the second half of the programme um, but anyway, um, Radio 1 used to do a thing called Sound City where they, um, and they, Six Music do something similar now where they travel Britain and set up camp and broadcast. And it was in Bristol in 1995 and he rang us up, left a message on the answering machine saying, oh, I don't know about this and oh, can I keep on your floor? And, you know, as if Radio 1 weren't going to pay for a hotel, but he... He was very keen to meet up, and we did We did spend a lot of that week with him. And he sent this. Um, I'll read it out. My John Peel accent, and indeed John Peel voice, isn't what it was, and I've got a tiny dose of middle-aged sinusitis, but I'll do my best. Um, dear James and Richard... Uh, James was my partner in the label, an old friend of mine. Dear James and Richard, thanks once more for all your kindness last week and apologies for the brevity and other shortcomings of the interview we did on radio. I've gone Alan Bennett now. Um, <laughs> the, uh, 
The boat trip and your night. I'm I'm giving up now. I've just gone. I've just gone north. Uh, the boat trip and the night you put on were definitely the highlight of a week that was much better than I had imagined it would be. If you're ever down our way, pictured over, we'd love to do our best to repay your hospitality. All the best, John. Open brackets. Peel. Close brackets. Um, I was touching. I was naive enough at that age to think being invited to go and stay with the Peel family was a bit like being invited to do a Peel session. I thought just that <laughs> everyone who showed any interest in him got asked to go and stay there. And it's one of my regrets. Uh, I'd love to have seen his record collection for yeah, starters, yes. but I, I did meet the family. Um, they all came to Bristol that week and his wife was a, I think I'm right in saying, was a... Oh, no, a neighbour was a magistrate and one of the children's boyfriends was in trouble and I got the whole, you know... It felt like we were sitting around the kitchen table, so I, I wish I'd gone. But so you, that was a sincere invitation? It was, yes. And I, I recognised the writing instantly because on the, um, in the shop revolver, um, it had a really just dreadful lavatory, even, even in the history of dreadful lavatories. It made the train-spotting lavatory look like... <laughs> Do- I was, I was hoping Dorchester. we'd be talking about record shop lavatories, <laughs> and, and what's happened? Anyway, on, there was a lot of graffiti on, on the record shop lavatory door, <laughs> and someone had written Liverpool, and underneath, in this very, very tight hand, several years before this, I mean, probably over a decade before this, John had obviously been in the shop, and he'd written in this tight hand under Liverpool. Someone had written, Liverpool, the gods are on the march again. And underneath he'd written, unfortunately, in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, this this is very dear to me for all the obvious reasons. That's amazing. Well, I think that's, 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 it's the opposite of uh, the, 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 the postcards being sent to a radio station. Mm. It's actually, the uh, in this case, a legendary DJ re- re- returning the compliment. I wrote to him once um, about 10 years earlier because I, I was organising this thing at school with some friends. We are going to do a charity auction. So we wanted, I can't remember what gripped us, but we wanted kind of things to give away. So we wrote to lots of people, including John Peel. And uh, I got home from school one day and my stepmother, who was a new addition to the house, said, oh, there was a phone call from some bloke called John Peel. He says he can't <laughs> give you anything, but he just wanted to say thanks for getting in touch. <laughs> I can't believe I've missed the opportunity to speak to John Peel. But it kind of summed him up, didn't it? I think that yes. he would just pick up the phone or you know he obviously knew you he worked with you and got to know you but but sending a, a postcard like that i think not not many of his radio one megastar djs as they were back then would have would have taken that personal approach no and when when we did an interview in the in the local studio in bristol that he mentions there was a chap there from from germany just a fan of his who'd listened to him on the syndicated show in germany who had just said please 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 can i come and see you make your program and he had a very sympathetic producer at the time. And there was just this German kid sitting watching him. And John was so sort of, not embarrassed by it, but he was, he was very modest. And he sort of said, well, I don't want to go and say hello. And oh, I just hate all that kind of, but give him a wave. <laughs> and then carried on. So he was, I think the trick with John that I don't think everyone knows is while he was at Radio 1, he always had the youngest audience share. So Radio 1's remit was for whatever, I don't know, 16 maybe to 25. And he didn't obviously didn't have the biggest audience, but he always had the youngest. So that always allowed him to continue because he was really, really fulfilling part of their function. And, of course, he did that by not pretending to be a teenager. Exactly. Yeah. But I think he always knew how teenagers felt and he always took it seriously. Yes. 
Yes. Um, and he didn't want to be a star, which was very appealing. No. I think he had a period of being a star in the late 60s. I think he was a star, yes, but I don't think yes. he wanted to be. It no, that kind and of... I think he realised it wasn't for him. Yeah. Yes. And he just loved, just loved Scratchy. He just loved energy, I think. Well, that's amazing. I mean, thank you for sharing that, because um, that's the first card we've had from a Radio 1 DJ on the programme. <laughs> and uh, But also, you know, who's no longer with us, so yep. it's, it's, it is a, it's a, that's a document. I'm sure you'll hold on to that. Petrock, what's the final card you've got for us? Well, this is an historic... Is it, is it from Kid Jensen? <laughs> it's not, I'm afraid. How disappointing. Not from Gary Davis either. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, a, an old postcard, I'm guessing from uh, the 1920s, Alexandria in Egypt, okay. monument to Muhammad Ali, not Muhammad Ali, but a, a, a great historical figure in, uh, in Alexandrian uh, history. And uh, I love old postcards, buying old postcards. I don't know, I've noticed, though... Blank old postcards, and this is blank, have become incredibly expensive now. Mm. It's as if everyone around the world has realised that when you go to Paris or Berlin or Cairo or wherever it is, there used to be all these kind of old shops you could go into and you could pick mm. up, you know, 10 unused old postcards for a euro or whatever the currency was. Now they're kind of five euro each. No, I, th- people... I think they hear your voices yeah. are coming in. They know that this is Radio 3's Petrock Trelawney. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> universally, the universally they seem to have become very expensive. And I got this, I had this brilliant trip to Alexandria 15 years ago, I think, uh, back in the days when British Airways had this wonderfully romantic route that was, their flight went from London to Addis Ababa, mm. uh, but it touched down in Alex, as we had to call it, and it seemed to be on the ground. We landed, I think about a dozen of us got off and we were collecting our bags when there was a sudden roar and the plane took off again. Oh. It was as if it, it had to get off, off the ground again as quickly as possible. And you're abandoned. You're on your own. And we were abandoned. <laughs> and it was an amazing time to go to Alexandria because it still felt very liberal. You know, it's become much less liberal now. Uh, it's become, you know, a, 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 a centre now of, 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 of Islamic study uh, and, and the Islamic faith. And, and a lot of the kind of sense of, of, of liberality about it has gone, you know, far more people I gather now wear uh, the veil than, than used to. There were three bars left uh, in Alexandria where you could buy alcohol, and I think all but one of those is now gone. There was a wonderful one called the Cock Door, uh, which had a, a sort of marble bar counter. Is that, is that where the, uh, the beer was ice cold? The beer was ice cold, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it was beer or whiskey, that's all they had. There was a slightly... Uh, Egyptian whiskey. Uh, uh, no, Scottish whiskey, actually, but a slightly <laughs> suspicious man in an incredibly elaborate pinstripe suit smoking spliffs in one corner and hardly anyone in this bar, uh, and a picture of the old couple who were kind of the... Do you remember Jackie and Sonny Mann who used to run that bar in Beirut? They were the kind of Alexandrian version of them, him wearing a bow tie and her wearing an elaborate evening dress, and they'd long gone, and now it was owned by a, a, a local family. And there was this man who introduced himself as a Libyan Arab Airlines pilot who was flying the next day to Benghazi and was quite far gone with alcohol at <laughs> point. I'm thinking, I hope I'm not on your plane tomorrow. And the next night he was in there again oh, and looked a bit surprised when we came but oh my flight was cancelled I'm going tomorrow and he was there on the third night as well so he clearly had just decided to tell people that that's what his job was and the great <laughs> library you could visit and we had this extraordinary evening went down to Shatby which was the old kind of English bit of, of Alexandria and went completely by chance into the parish church the Anglican church in Shatby where I suddenly saw above the door was a plaque to Barbara Rosalie Trelawney, who was my great-grandmother, who I had no idea had died in Alexandria. I knew she died 
at sea on her way to Australia, in fact, with my great-grandfather, where she was going to recover from an illness that she was uh, suffering from. But I had no idea she'd actually gone ashore in Alexandria and died there. So it was yeah. extraordinary to and see this kind of family. your eyes were just drawn to that. Yeah, 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 I just looked above the door and suddenly suddenly saw my name. And I thought, what, oh, did a double take? And then and I knew exactly who it was, but I had no idea she died there or that she was memorialised in the wall there. Wow. So, so Alexandra has a special place in my heart. Yes. It's, I've, I've only had a day trip to Alexandria from Cairo. I took the train up there. The Spanish train. Is it the Spanish? Spanish? Well, they have these old they have these old trains that they bought from Spanish railways that have sort of images of matadors and things on the outside uh, that uh, are meant to be high speed. And I suppose they are high speed by Egyptian standards, but not not particularly. <laughs> I remember far. it was the weekend. It was a sunny weekend when you get sunny weekends in Egypt, and uh, there were lots of young people going from Cairo, getting out of Cairo, going mm. to the seaside, and. Mm. And they had sort of picnics, and they all had ouds with them. Wow. Mm. Uh, in a rather kind of hippie way that here in the 60s you might have had a guitar. Yeah. Of course, in, in, in the Middle East you use the oud. And uh, it just, I love the sound of the oud anyway. It just seemed such an um, exotic and romantic thing to see on the train. And it is just the most exotic and romantic city. You know, that extraordinary boulevard that runs for miles uh, with ice cream shops and shops selling fresh fruit juice and cafes and wonderfully kind of over-the-top pastries for sale and, <laughs> and sort of young people walking up and down, you know, looking at each other but being very cautious about making the next move. There's a real sense of kind of the old-fashioned, exotic, continental, seaside about it. And then you've got Cavafy, who who seems to me to be you know, omnipresent. We went to, to see his flat, which is now a museum, which it didn't look like anyone had been in for, for weeks when we went to visit it. But to sort of spend a few days there reading the old Cavafy poem in translation, walking up and down that, that wonderful croisette. It's, it's an exotic and magical place. You were living a uh, Graham Greene. <laughs> I was. Life, I think, yes. <laughs> Certainly an element of fantasy yes. to it. Another thing I remember from Alexandria, and uh, this may not have been interesting, but like everywhere in Egypt, the cars sound their horns yeah. all the time. Mm, yeah. And um, and then you get a wedding party. And, oh, mm. and they're know, shooting in the air. Then, yeah, it's, it's car horns time 20, fireworks being let off, firecrackers. But the friend I was with, he said, um, the thing about Alexandria is you're not allowed to sound your horn. And I just listened, and it was a cacophony. Of, he said, but of course no one pays any attention. Yeah. I thought, well, that, that, there's something in the character there. Well, uh, thank you both for these Pleasure. cards. Um, I feel like I've been taken you know, around the world and around your lives, which is, which is just such a privilege. A reminder for listeners at home that all the images of all the cards, all these ones we discussed, um, they're all going to be on the blog so you can see the pictures and realise that we haven't been making it up. Um, I don't think our imaginations are good enough, actually. And that also includes this last one, which is in the at past postcard style, which, of course, you're familiar with from Twitter. So this one is um, a card showing uh, Wells Next to the Sea. Ah, oh, yes. Sunset at Wells Next to the Sea. And, uh, it's a bit of a, a filter gang on this. A yeah. symphony in orange. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like or, or it's a sort of nuclear wars <laughs> yes. gang on. It's a very odd colour. Oh, which is a possibility. Um, and it's in a very childish hand in pencil, this one. Uh, 2.5p it cost, which um, was the, the postcard rate in 1971. Uh, I remember those pink stamps very well. It doesn't say that Dungeness reactor's finally overblown. And... <laughs> I've got to go. It's going to blow. No, it, it, it's uh, it's an unusual message. I like drinking salt water. <laughs> there are lots of ladybirds. Oh. So I kind of imagine that if you drink enough salt water, you'll start to imagine ladybirds everywhere. <laughs> and the sky will look like that. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe this... Um, Lydia, love from Lydia. I think Lydia might have been on the way out if she kept drinking the, the salt <laughs> Not water. Poor old Lydia. Where is she now? In in the beach at Wells next to the sea, probably. 
Before we say goodbye to Richard and Petrock, I've just got one more postcard for you both. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen one of these. You're both oh. musical, so you should oh, both have a look. Golly. Yes. So this is a postcard that is a record yeah. as well. And these were very popular, weren't they? Yes. In the, I remember them kind of in the late 70s. And they, sometimes they were adverts, weren't they? I seem to remember there was a brand of school trouser. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, Trutex or something, which I remember having to go to the local menswear shop in Helston in Cornwall to get two pairs for my new school uniform with my mum. And was really, really excited when the old man who ran the menswear shop said, oh, I can give you this, and gave me this card like this with a with a plastic, the plastic grooves stuck on it and got home and played it and it was a an advertising jingle for Trutex school. Uh, what a waste. You just bought them already. Yeah. It's the last it's like it's but like I was Amazon. So excited. <laughs> so excited putting it on the turntable and moving the, the needle into place. And what I found fascinating about this turning it over is um Yes, it's essentially a, fl- uh, a flexi disc postcard, but it's um, the original floppy discs, weren't they? Exactly, <laughs> and, it's, and they used to come with private eye for some reason. Didn't um, they? But yes. I think those were flexi discs. They were just yes. the, 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 the the plastic the pla- as opposed the, to the yes. What it was sort of acetate, acetate exactly. Yes. But this was this is on a card. I mean, we the, should probably describe it for the listener. And it's manufactured by VCZM in Budapest, and that's of interest to me because in the mid to late 90s and certainly the first half of this century before the revival in vinyl there were fewer and fewer and fewer record pressing plants yes and one of the only ones that survived was in budapest i wonder if it was the same one goodness the, me they might have been expert in pressing onto cardboard as well and if they do that they do anything <laughs> and uh, um although they were apparently allegedly I don't know this for sure, uh, then associated with some dodgy, fairly far-right politics, but I'd leave that to the readers of The Wire magazine to know, but so do I. But well, anyway... It's a view of a... <laughs> yes, that's 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 garden, thank you. isn't it, I think? I mean, it's, it's a sort of... looks like it's a sort of pleasure palace, a yes. casino or something yes. in the yes. middle of a, a park. Ah, oh, the, uh, like the, the Remini Gardens. Yes. yes. Uh, which, uh, I don't know if they're in Budapest itself or perhaps they're in a another town elsewhere in... Uh, in Hungary, but it's one of those very stylized, false colour images, you know, hand tinted, I think, with so... uh, empty gardens, apart from one lady who's sitting rather nonchalantly with one leg up on a bench and the other one on the floor. I rather like these sort of last year in Marienbad um, yes. shadows. Architecture yeah, shadows. It's, it's a frozen moment. I mean, it it, is a frozen all moment. pictures are frozen. It moments. would be good to hear the music because perhaps that's what she's hearing in her yes. mind as she well, looks so In the various so balconies and David has a sort of bank of uh, equipment in there. Let's see if we can make something happen. Oh. Great recording. That's great, great sound quality. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Your Hungarian. This is sort of Hungarian chanson, isn't it? Yeah. But this is it's really high quality, isn't it? Yes. Considering it's on a bit of plastic and yes. it is by the look of it half a century old. I think the plastic layer also is thinner yeah. than a flexi disc because it's just a layer mm. of gloss effectively on the uh, but on it's the, on not the skipping at all it's really playing through very well it's very dreamy it's as dreamy as the image it accompanies yeah the brass section of the, the Hungarian it? Radio Philharmonic 
Well, as the Hungarian park continues to rotate at exactly 45 revolutions per minute. That's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Richard King and Petro Trelawney. Thank you both. That's the extent of my Hungarian. <laughs> and thank you at home for listening. Bye for now. see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book Postcard from the Past by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.